0: Staying Fit, or a subtitle, Staying Spiritually Fit. As we're closing down on this series in January of Staying in the Game, we talked about being disqualified. We talked about fouling out. We've talked about discipline and and being undisciplined. So now we want to basically just stay about closing out, about staying fit. Many times we start off the year thinking about how we want to do better this year than we had last year. Many times we start off the year with great goals and and plans about what we're going to accomplish uh, this year. But I want to Drive this home that you cannot finish what you have started unless you stay in the game. In order to stay in the game, you have to be in such a a condition to stay in the game. In order to get into that condition, you have to become fit. In order to stay fit, you have to continue to exercise and work this out. Just as it is that you want to do anything in life, what you put in is what you're going to get out. I don't know if you've ever been to an anaerobic class, but yet what you, get, what you put in is what you're going to get out. Just because everybody else burned calories doesn't mean you're going to burn calories if you don't work out like they worked out. Sometimes they have the high impact and they have the low impact. It's up to you to choose which impact you're going to take. You come in, think you can do a high impact, you back down, say I won't make it all the way to the end, I have to go to low impact. It's set up just to say I want you to definitely endure, but sometimes you have to choose how much you want to put in. You, you already made up your mind when you started the class, I'm looking to burn so many calories, I lose so much weight. But yet you realize in order for that to happen, in the time frame you want it to happen, you had to do high impact. But you've been doing low impact, not getting the results you want. Same thing in life. You want results, but you're not willing to do the work to gain the results. Or sometimes we we are misled by getting results. For example, many of the athletes who have been hurt by the backhoe scandal, some of them knew what they were doing, some were misled. And then some got so caught up in what was being in this web of lies that they didn't want to turn back because they were doing so well. It started off they did not know, then they started realizing that something's different about my body. Uh, I'm I'm performing a little bit better than everybody else, but yet I won't ask any more questions because I don't want to know the truth. But when the truth is revealed, they still did what they were doing now. Some of them are suffering the penalty, and some are still under investigation. Just trying to find out how much do they really know. It's amazing how, when you want to do well, how lies can sneak in when you don't know the truth. It's amazing how, when you want to do well, how people can get you to do shortcuts. To get a result that won't last. In our text in 1 Timothy, the 4th chapter. We've seen Paul writing to Timothy, telling him that in in this life, people are talking about some physical exercise, which is of good value. But I I want you to really understand that godliness is of a greater value. I'm not trying to discredit that you need to be physically fit, but I want you to understand as much emphasis you're putting on some physical, some mortal things, I want you to look at some spiritual things. Things that will last, not only for now, but in things to come. He's writing to Timothy telling him to, 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 you need to make a decision of separating false from fact. Don't fall into these old wives tales, or or it talks about some silly old women and the myths, and the, the Greek words mythos and myths and fables. Uh, don't fall for the lies, or, or like we sometimes might say, don't go for the okie-doke. But know the truth. Know the real deal, holy field, if you will. Know what's really going on. And so Paul is emphasizing to Timothy to understand that, know the truth, separate the false, and live the truth, and teach the truth. And and before we get into that, I want you to really grab here what Paul is, is exhorting Timothy. He says, look here, Timothy, you being a young pastor, not only do you need to teach it, but you need to live it. So many of us would tell somebody else how to live, but we're not living that way. We get caught up because we know right, but we don't do right. We get caught up because it's easy to tell than it's easy to do. So he say, "Do what I say, not as I do is what we're really saying, but we don't say it that way, because we don't want to be caught up with find ourselves lacking integrity. But integrity means it's integrated, That is within, that it means that you are sowing what you are displaying and living. And Paul is, is, is encouraging Timothy to do this. So when we pick up in this letter to Timothy, in the fourth chapter and the sixth verse, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And the Word of God says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith. And the good teaching you have followed. Look at verse 7. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives tales. Instead train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life To come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is a Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. I, I want to deal with verses six through ten in this passage, and and I want you to focus on how how Paul is is pointing to Timothy what he needs to take the time to explain, and I want you to look at the two imperatives. Then first imperative, see in verse seven says, "Do not waste your time with godly with, with ungodly people and their myths and their old wives' tales." But he says the second imperative, instead, train yourself for godliness. I, I want you to grab the crux of the matter here. He's saying, to Timothy, see, if you teach what you already know, you will be godly." And how do we know? Go back into the previous verse in verse 6. He says, look, you said already exemplify and show the good teaching, the good doctrine you have already received. Do you see that there? Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Saying, Timothy, you've already received the truth. You already know the truth. You know how to live the truth. So just do that. Sometimes we get caught over what we don't know. That we're trying to do too much instead of doing what we already know. We, we try to do too much that we neglect the basic premises. Paul is telling Timothy, do not try to argue with them about stuff that's not real, but instead practice the truth. Some of us get so caught up and so upset with lies that we defend lies more than we defend the truth. If Samuel Thomas Durin spent more time trying to defend his character, I would lose ground instead of defending Christ. Because I, I can find a lot of people saying some bad things about me, what they don't like about me, because I, I say bad things about myself. But if I spend all that time trying to, trying to debate them about what does not matter, instead of talking about what does matter, we, we sometimes separate that in our lives. Think about it for a moment. We know the truth. We, we, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But when we go to our job, we act like that's not the truth. We don't lift up the name of Jesus in our job, because that's a taboo, to say the name Jesus. We, we don't want to say, I give God the praise for my job. No, we're going to say, because of my resume. We do not want to say, by the grace of God, I'm making it from there. No, we're just going to say, I have job security, because nobody can replace me. We don't want to say that God has been providing for my household. We're going to say, no, because the boss likes me, he gave me a raise. We give credit to man instead of realizing that by God, I have what I have. If it was not by the grace of him, I would not have any of these things. But we need to look at it and think about how it changes your perspective when you look what he's talking about in verse 10. He says, we strive and work for this end. What is the end? The end is for godliness. See, he's pointing pointing out, he said, instead, exercise. For godliness, And he points out about this. He says, yes, yes, yes. Exercise for the body is of good value. And what he's pointing out during this time frame, a lot of people, you, the gymnastics and the games and, and the word in there when the Greek is gymnasium and where we have a gymnasium. What do you do in a gymnasium? You work out in it. The gymnasium is where you have gym, exercise, weight lifting, wrestling, rope climbing, all those things you did in gym class was made for the place for physical training. And when you get into the gym to physically work out your body, you're working out for a specific event. And Michael Phelps said he's training again and says his body hurts all over. You know why his body hurts all over? Because he stopped training. Once he won, he stopped training. Why? Because I'm going to relax and enjoy. Why? Because his training had limited value. That, that might catch him on the way home. His training was only good for the Olympics. Now he has to retrain again for the next Olympics. Do you understand what's happening here? His physical training was of good value, but it was only for a limited time. I, I, I did training in self-defense, and, and if I go back to 16 years ago when I was really in shape, oh, I could spar with the rest of them. I might be as far as maybe two minutes now because that training is gone. I have not gotten back to that same training, able to stretch and be as limber as I used to be. Same thing with playing in basketball. If I go and play on the court now, I might be good for one game to five at the most. After that, you're going you to run past me. My defense is going to be horrible because I'm out of shape. Back when I was in that time frame playing basketball, when I was in shape, I was able to dunk on people on fast breaks and from the post. Yes, I can dunk. Yes, I can. <laughs> but nowadays, I might just push it in low, low and then grab the rim, act like I dunk. Because I'm out of shape. At the time of the height when I was in shape, I could jump over anybody. I was six feet tall with them standing. I could jump over them. I, I was in shape. But now my body is is not is longer been training for that. So that, that value I used to have is a limited value. But godliness has value not only for this life but in the life to come. I want you to grab for, for a moment real quick. Your body, what's going to happen to your body when it dies? It's going to decompose. When you die, they will cry over you, they'll weep over you, they'll put you in a casket, and they'll put you on the ground. That's the end of your body. But do you understand that there's a resurrection? And in the resurrection, it does, not, does it not say that the dead in Christ will rise first, then we will rise with them? That means that there's something go, that's going to happen to the body that's going to transform. But one thing that's not going to transform is your soul. That might get somebody on the way home. See, see, your soul, your, your possession, what God has given you, thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your soul, he says, the Holy Spirit has sealed you until the day of redemption. This body will pass away, but Jesus died so that you can live. Jesus pointing out to you, and, and look at this, look at, if you ever took the time to look at Lazarus, the story of Lazarus when he was dead, he was in the tomb for four days. And, 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 and during the time, the, the Jews believed the spirit left the body after three days. They believed it was, it was his, he, so they thought he was beyond resurrection. They thought he was done. Because the, the Mary would say, I do believe in the resurrection. <laughs> I, I, I do believe that you're going to raise a man. But Jesus said, look here, look here. He that believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And then they said, Jesus, uh, uh, why are you gonna unroll the tomb? He's dead, man. The, they said the stench from the grave was coming up. This body was already decomposing. This man, they, they didn't have the bomb that we have. You know, like James Brown body and, and, and Nicole Kidman, their bodies were, were, were stealing out because why they're embalming now, they, they were decomposing, but people still were fighting who going to get the money and all these things. And so they kept it sealed up so the stench would not come out. But Jesus says, look here, I'm gonna understand here. I am God. And I said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. He was not stinking. He was not decomposing. But yet he was still in his bodily form. But yet he had to die again. Why? Because the body's not going to (laughs) last. But yet Jesus is pointing out to us that, 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 that look here, that when I resurrected, my body was different than Lazarus. He said, the closed doors, he was reappeared and he disappeared. He sat down and he ate with them. He was different than the body of Lazarus. Jesus is pointing out to us that, look, the body that we're going to have when the transformation comes is going to be different than the body that we have here now. But I want you to understand that in this earthly place we're living in, the, the enemy is trying to deceive you. You see, early in, in the chapter, in verse verse, it says this. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachers that come from demons. It's pointing us, it's pointing out that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in latter days or in times to come And, and we can see say, say that even now How many cults there are How many people are believing in things that are untrue and following Think about it He's talking about it here way back then Some, some 1900 years ago Talking about how you should not get married People say it's not good for you to get married Now we got people trying to define what marriage is How how can you tell me you want to make a new definition of what already existed? Think about that for a moment. Does somebody come up to you with a new ruler and say this is a new measurement? No longer does the, the 12 inches make a foot, but now it's 13 inches? What would that do to your logic? It would change everything. You would say, well, then, then actually there's no absolute truth. But there is absolute truth. God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you understand? In order for you to have truth, you have to have an absolute. And God already ordained marriage. And catch this. Catch this. Marriage was put together before sin entered the world. So it's already pure. It's already holy. But the enemy is putting lies in to deceive you. Just as I can see how the enemy has those athletes say, just take this, you'll run faster. It's legal. And they take it and they run faster. So what they want? I want more. Now they got them. Now it starts coming out that, oh, what you're taking is a substance. Um, I'm going to act like I did not hear that. So, I can still take this and not lie when they ask me, Did you know you were taking a story? No, I did not know. It was flat seed oil. I, I was taking what they gave me. I did not know what they were giving me was illegal. It's easy how the enemy can sneak in just a little bit. And that's what he's trying to do to us to get us unfit to run the race, to not read our word and know our word. It's easy if I just give you a whole bunch of information that sounds truthful. You'll buy into it and run with that. But yet, Paul is telling Timothy, you need to know the Word, study the Word, live the Word, and therefore, do not put yourself in the place that you're going to spend idle time. And I said idle time because it's a waste of time of arguing with those who do not believe, but instead, teach the truth. And then, look what he's saying. Not only do you need to separate and train for godliness, but I like how he puts it in verse, in, in verse 10. It says this, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. This is why we toil and labor. And when, you look, when I look this word up in the Greek, it talks about labor, basically in the strength of, of going under contention or basically fighting for something that's worth value. What's the value that they're fighting for? What is the race they are running for? They're running because it says they have a hope in the living God. They have a living hope, means they're. Hope is not dead. They're saying this, that I know why I am running the race. I understand why I'm being persecuted. I see why the enemy is trying to knock me down and try to keep me lazy, trying to keep me unfit. That's why I gotta work at this godliness thing. You understand it says exercise is of good value. It is profitable. Your doctor will tell you that, yeah, you need to eat right, you need to have a proper diet, maybe walk 15 minutes a day, or maybe run, or whatever it is he tells you to do, just to make sure you keep your body at least at minimum good health. But then on beyond that, it says this, that he says, Paul's saying this, that godliness is of great value because it holds a promise not only for this life, but what? The life to come. So I want you to really grab what he's talking about in godliness. Godliness is basically to live a life pleasing to God. And so, therefore, if exercising, I know how to exercise my body, right, I know push-ups, I, I know sit-ups, I know how to stretch. You know, I, I, little kids know that with head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. to get kids to do exercise to touch their toes at that time. But yet, we ourselves, we know how to exercise the body, but do we know that how to exercise, how to train, how to discipline for godliness? Do what you just see in this text. Read the word. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on later on in the same chapter. Paul tells them in verse fourteen, do not neglect the spiritual gift you have received. Says, do not neglect. How, so do not neglect. So what does he tell him? Goes on to do? he says, well then, said, give give your verse fifteen, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself to the task so that everyone will see your progress. What were those tasks? Keep close and watch on how you live. On your teaching, stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation, and the salvation of those who hear you. So he goes on to tell them, and you see in verse 11 to verse 13, it says, well, he should be to public speaking, devotion and prayer. Godly training is you to openly read the word of God. Openly devote yourself to the Word of God. We, we have a time of devotion and worship. So what does devotion mean? Basically to, to devote, to focus yourself on the Word of God and let it meditate on you. Meditation is not some mystical thing that you get a nirvana by just saying, hmm, la, 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 la all this stuff. But meditation, when the Bible talks about that, is basically reading the Word out loud and reciting it in such a way that it becomes your thought process. And when it becomes your thought process, then it becomes your language. Think about it for a moment. We know our vocabulary changes because of the TVs we watch. Uh, I was watching a basketball show in a a college basketball, in in an interview, and she said yada, yada, yada. And then the other one, one of the hosts of the show says she used a Seinfeld reference. And it hit me. It that, 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 that's right. Cypher so had his whole show about how to complete a conversation. If you don't have anything else to say, say yada, yada, yada. And now people say that when they start talking. And you know, that I went to so-and-so's house and yada, yada, yada. And then also to another uh, urban league we say blah, 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 blah. Or blase, blase, or yakety, yet. We allow people to influence our communication style that those are words that come out of my mouth but when we open up the word of god and i realize the word of god tells me to bless and not curse i can understand that when people get on my nerves i have the word of god in my heart saying sam you better bless don't curse somebody cuts me off i want to roll up my middle finger but instead i point to god to go bless that person it changed my attitude and I tell you what, those that pass me by and cut me off who are speeding and when it's raining with see outside, they get a blessing from me because I said, Lord bless them that they don't get into an accident. It changed my attitude. I used to, I used to want them to get pulled over by the police to teach them a lesson. But then I realized that me too, that I too need the grace of God. So now I pray, Lord bless them that they make to the destination safely. It changed my attitude because why would I wish ill will to them when I want God to bless me? So it woke me up to realize, Lord, help me to be more godly. As I'm godly, I'm able to endure. I'm able to endure the toil, to struggle, to, to labor for godliness. And when I think about this labor and this struggle, it has to go back to the image of Christ. Jesus, did he not labor and struggle for us? We read about it in Hebrews how he endured the persecution of the sinners because he saw the joy of the cross. And I like in the movie, in The Passion of Christ, when they saw Jesus embrace the cross. And one of the thieves said, Do you embrace <laughs> your sentence? And I can understand how my Jesus, embrace the cross not because of the punishment that the roman government was giving him but because of the joy of the resurrection jesus realized that yes the son of man must suffer many things i'm going to suffer rejection i'm going to suffer persecution but i understand before it's all over that i will be exhausted. Jesus understood that yes, I, I gotta put up with some of this crazy stuff, but I won't lean to the left nor lean to the right. But I only lean on God's unchanging hand. I remember Jesus in the garden. The record tells, Lord, if this cup could pass on, but not my will. But your will be done Jesus understood I've been running this race Not to give up and not to give in But to endure all the way to the finish line And do you understand that when Jesus was on the cross He saw the finish line here on earth He saw it so much so that he said It is finished And when he breathed his last he gave up the ghost, and now, as we're running this race, we can realize that I labor and I toil not in vain, but I see unexpected end. And I can look at the text and read the tenth verse, and it says, "This is why I work hard and continue to struggle, for my hope is in the living God, who is the Savior." Of all people and particularly of all believers. I want to break that down real quick. The text says he's the savior. Yes, he is the savior, but it says especially for those who believe or above all to those who believe. I want to break it down for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What it's saying there is that there's some people that might believe and there's some who may not believe but does not take away <laughs> that he is the Savior. So he is the Savior, but above all, to those who believe in him. Uh, do you believe in him? Because when you believe in him, you realize why you're running this race. Uh, you realize that I am fighting all the way unto the end, and I can sing that good old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less. Than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Uh, I can look at that text in the first turn and verse 10. It says, I have my hope in the living God. Aren't you glad He's alive? Aren't you glad He's alive? Because He's alive, our living is not in vain.
1: Because He's alive,
0: we have power. And you know that same power that rose Christ from the grave, exhausting you? Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you will run the good race, and you'll fight the good fight. You are fighting to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're fighting to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm I'm fighting to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So as I read his word, pray to him. And I do these daily because I realize of the greater value. Not only for right now, but yet in one day, this mortal body will put on immortality, this corruptible body will put on incorruption. And Paul likes that. That's why he got excited at the end of that chapter. He says, so be steadfast and unmovable knowing that your work is not in vain. Do you see why you struggle? Do you see why you toil? Because the enemy is trying to defeat you and try to get you off the wrong path. But hold on But hold on to the hope of the living God. Hold on. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Is there someone here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I want to give you this opportunity for you to accept and have hope in the living God. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross for your sins, that God raised him from the grave, you shall receive eternal life. For you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We want to leave you with this prayer. repeat after me saying dear Lord Jesus that's right dear Lord Jesus I believe you died on the cross for my sin and you rose again from the grave and Jesus I thank you for forgiving me I thank you for saving me and Jesus I invite you to come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior and I will live for you because you have died for me in Jesus name I pray Amen. So we have everybody, every eyes closed. You pray that prayer for the first time. You pray that prayer for the first time. Just raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Father, Lord, we thank you for salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord, how we are now part of the body of Christ. And Father, we thank you that we can stay fit by staying in your word and having perfect communion with you. So Father, we give our lives to you for you to have your way with us. We thank you for your gifts, your grace, and your mercy and the peace you give to us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray Let the church say, Amen.